Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss, and we have got uh, an exciting Part 2 Global Report show for you today. Today we're going to be talking with Chad Moutre from the National Association of Manufacturers and uh, also with Norbert Orr, who follows 18 purchasing managers indices around the world. But before we get to our guests, let me speak with Lou and see what's happening in lovely New Jersey today. Lou, how are you doing? Uh, it's great. Uh, yesterday uh, we had part one. Today we got part two. Uh, at some point, we're going to be doing five shows a week, I would imagine. I think the engineer just fainted and the associate producer just fainted. Yes, uh, throw some water on her. She'll come true. Yeah, a little more water. Okay, great. A uh, couple of news items. Uh, you know, we're talking about and have been talking about the fact that the economy is uh, – beginning to really crank it up. Manufacturing is really cranking it up. And we give some news items about about that and to demonstrate how that is true. Uh, there's a, This one is very significant. Uh, a company called uh, Brady Industries in Ashland, Kentucky, uh, is building, and they broke ground already, they broke ground for an aluminum sheet and plate rolling mill. The first one being built in the United States in 30 years. Uh, they're putting 1.3 billion into it. It's two and a half million uh, square feet. It's a huge plant, and their primary uh, industries that they're looking to serve is automotive and aerospace. Uh, and aerospace in itself is really uh, booming. Uh, automotive. Uh, Everyone's got a big question mark about how we're going to be able to keep our sale, uh, auto sales up to where they like it, 16, 17 million. But nonetheless, Brady industry must feel as though that there's a, a strong need for more aluminum in a new plant. They did not say, however, how many employees they're going to have. So it could be an automated plant or a semi-automated plant, but I'm sure Ashland, Kentucky will appreciate having them there anyway. Uh, next item, uh, we've been talking a lot for the last several years now about skill gap and uh, the untrained and the unskilled. Mercedes joins the labor apprenticeship program that's been put out by the Department of Veteran Affairs for a training program training technicians. Now, that's kind of interesting because I've been the one saying for a long time that if you're waiting for Washington to jump in and help us, that you're going to have a long wait and that the states are the ones who are really doing some terrific stuff in terms of skill gap uh, training and retraining apprenticeship programs and so on. So here it is, Department of Veteran Affairs. I would presume that they're looking to get veterans uh, it trained. It's a 16-week technician training program, and they also have a career development training uh, program connected to that. There's a total of 640 hours of technical training, 
and uh, they will be located in four different states as a pilot program to see if we can get veterans trained, and I would presume that they're talking about also uh, disabled veterans. So that's, this is all a, a good thing. So uh, that's it for some of the new, new news. And uh, Tim, back to you. Thanks, Lou. So let's get to our guests. And first up is Chad Moutre, who is the chief economist with the National Association of Manufacturers. He puts out the Monday morning economic report every week, very interesting reading, and also puts out the quarter, quarterly manufacturing outlook update, which just recently came out. So let's speak with Chad Moutre. Uh, it's, it's always fun to be on your show, Lou. It's kind of a nice way to, to get, the, get the day going, right? Uh, I, I think so, only if you have good news. <laughs> <laughs> well, we try to. You know, as, as as I've said to you on the on, on this show before, uh, I think it looks like manufacturing has turned a corner. So, at least it's much better news than it might have been, you know, a year or two ago. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, you know, we we follow all the economic news uh, that you put out and other agencies put out, made by ISM and so on. And uh, it's all uh, it's all great. It's all great. So well, uh, we we. we we try. We try. Excellent. So let's uh, let's hear about it. Let's talk about uh, the global manufacturing economic update that you put out uh, uh, this past week. That's right. So I think I think one of the big highlights. In fact, if you look at the the global manufacturing economic update that we put out uh, this month, uh, the dollar has fallen uh, you know, pretty pretty dramatically in a, in a very short period of time. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, you know. That's the nice thing about that is that it, it, we're certainly seeing better export numbers this year than we've seen in a while. Uh, the dollar has fallen, you know, 7.6 percent year to date, uh, and that certainly has helped. The global economy in general is doing a little bit better. Uh, to be fair, you know, even with that depreciation, the dollar still is, you know, roughly 17 percent stronger than it was three years ago. So. We're still going to have challenges with the dollar or with foreign exchange in general, but uh, just the fact that the dollar has depreciated so much this year, I think, has been a nice buffer for the overall, you know, demand when it when it, when it, when it comes to growing exports. But I think it's given uh, a lot of confidence to those who are uh, looking to spend money and invest money into their businesses. That's right, and I think you know the other the other big part of it. Um, not just the dollar, we are seeing stronger growth uh, globally in general. I think we, we talked about this on the last show. Uh, Europe is seeing its best numbers in six years. So uh, we're seeing really strong numbers in Germany, the Netherlands, and a lot of other markets. Even France is doing much better. Uh, and so that's, that's you know, they're, they're our second largest uh, trading block outside of North America. So we, we want a strong Europe. Uh, we want to make sure that they're continuing to grow. And I think that's an obviously a nice, a nice positive. Uh, and we're seeing decent numbers in, in China and in Canada as well. And so I, I think that, that just the fact that we're seeing much better data globally uh, combined with the, the weaker dollar, I think, has really helped to lift uh, the U.S. manufacturing activity in general. Even Greece has picked up over 50 in their uh, uh, ISM number. 
they have, yeah. So Greece, Greece has, has has continued to have challenges. They still have challenges. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, but at least we're able to say that they expanded a little bit in, in in the month of July, which is which is a nice positive. And then there's always Brazil, which I think yeah. is at 50 even, which is a yeah, big move yeah. for them. Although Brazil, I think to be to be fair to Brazil, they uh, you know Brazil and South South uh, Korea are the are the two weaker weaker links there. Uh, and when you're looking at the top 15 markets for U.S. manufactured goods, both of them have emerged from pretty significant challenges. Both of them have had impeachments in the last year um, or so. Uh, and so I think the the nice thing about Brazil is that they're emerging. I think from their recession. Um, I would look for them to continue to strengthen uh, moving into 2018. And so, yeah, they were neutral um, uh, when it comes to the PMI number in, in the month of July. But I, I, I still have pretty strong uh, growth expectations for them, at least in terms of emerging from, from their recession. Yeah, we, uh, Paul Metalson Forge Group, does a fair amount of business in Brazil, and uh, the number of uh, jobs to be quoted and orders in place has come up uh, significantly uh, over recent times. Uh, they were their they were their own worst enemy for a long time there, but they seem to be emerging well, from that. Well, we have a lot of that going on actually. <laughs> <probably>. We do. <laughs> we, we try not to talk too much politics, but it's hard to talk manufacturing nowadays without talking politics. Or at least that's what we find. That that's true. I mean, certainly uh, policies. Uh, whether they're pro-growth or, or kind of working in the other direction, certainly dominate the conversation these days. Absolutely. Can't go to a restaurant with another couple and not talk politics. Yeah. Especially as much as you try not to, yeah. As much as you try not to. So what's, go what's going on in Venezuela? Uh, I know it's not on, uh, uh, yeah. not on the radar. Well, Venezuela continues to do what, what we have seen them happen, you know, really over the last decade or so, uh, especially in, uh, with Hugo Chavez, but even in the aftermath of it. Uh, they've continued to have a lot of nationalist tendencies and, and uh, moving clearly towards more socialist uh, policies, and that's certainly not a, the right prescription for them. Uh, certainly, I think, in terms of being able to attract more capital into their country, this, that's certainly the wrong wrong path for them. So what is that going to do with their, uh, you know, their oil industry, which is probably their only plus that they've got? Well, it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens in terms of uh, whether we, uh, we, as meaning the United States, what we choose to do there. Um, I don't follow energy markets enough to know exactly what will happen, but if, if we certainly were to exclude um, uh, Venezuelan oil uh, into the U.S. that could have some pretty disastrous effects for their economy. Uh, Venezuela is part of OPEC, so you know clearly they they uh, they are part of that group. But uh, overall, economically, they're not. They continue to, to again shoot themselves in the foot. Yeah, and, and elsewhere. Uh, so uh, going further in your report, uh, uh, let's talk about China. They're, they're the big boogeyman, and I'm not sure if that's all true. So why don't you give us a little insight into that? Well, you know, the Chinese economy has continued to strengthen. We've seen uh, them grow, you know, 6.9% year over year for really two quarters in a row. Uh, uh, overall, the trend is going to continue to be that their economy is going to slow relative to where it was a few years ago. Uh, but, you know, if you, go, if you flash back to what the conversations we were having at this time last year, 
uh, China was the big boogeyman, right? They were a lot of people were worried about whether they were going to send us into a global recession, both them and Brazil. Uh, and, I, and I think the risks from China have certainly uh, abated pretty significantly. They still have some pretty significant challenges. Uh, a lot of people worry about the amount of debt that they've taken on. Um, and, and whether they can sustain the levels of growth that they ha growth that they have, but again, they're not the risks that they were. Um, I think that they have turned a corner uh, from where they were at this time last year, and and you've seen in terms of their PMI numbers, uh, they actually grew in in July at the fastest since March. So uh, a little bit of a lull in the spring months, but they seem to be emerging from that. How does uh, how, how would you uh, project the issues that are going on or potentially going on with North Korea uh, affecting us, not necessarily from the last month or two, but going forward. Do you have any insight? Well, I mean, that? obviously, at the, you know, when you look at huge downside risks to the economy, you got to put geopolitical uh, uncertainty up there, and North Korea is at the top of that list right now. Um, certainly, the dialogue that uh, we continue to have in the press uh, between Kim Jong-il and uh, Trump, certainly getting a lot of attention. Uh, a lot of that obviously is just heated rhetoric. Uh, uh, if you actually were to see something happen there, that would have uh, some pretty dire consequences. Uh, and they, but, you know, backing up again, talking about China, as we said did a second ago, uh, the U.S. needs China, China's cooperation, and you've seen um, – that play itself out politically as well with Trump and and, and the Chinese government. So it's uh, it's seeming as though that uh, uh, we do need their help uh, in regards to the China uh, scenario that's uh, unfolding. Uh, but it's hard to say, you know, what what to expect in the future with the. Uh, scenario that goes in Washington and in uh, North Korea. Uh, it's, it's a great big open pit that unfortunately could cause us a lot of grief. Uh, Japan, give us a little insight into that. Well, Japan also is expanding, you know, pretty pretty modestly. They're not growing as fast as perhaps they would like, um, but they are growing. Um, you saw, you know, 2.2% growth on an annualized basis um, in in the second, in the excuse me, the first quarter. Uh, we, we should be getting new data on them soon. Uh, and industrial production also picked up in the month of June. So, uh, again, they're growing, not as fast as we would like. Um, uh, but they are at least, you know, they're our fourth largest trading market, and so we, we, we want uh, Japan strengthening as much, much as they can. We also want to have greater access to those markets, uh, uh, and so that's, that's, I think, a nice positive as well, if we can get that. What's going on with uh, the NAFTA negotiations that are supposedly have started? I believe that they're starting uh, in the next week, uh, and uh, as you know, we've been following that issue pretty closely, uh, right. trying to make sure that uh, in, in any renegotiation with Canada and Mexico that we um, uh, that we make sure that manufacturers' best interests are, are put in there. Obviously, the, the agreement needs to be modernized. It was negotiated originally in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, and uh, you know that was obviously pre-internet, as I like to joke. So you know that certainly needs some some modernization. But uh, and you've heard me say this before, Lou. Uh, Canada and Mexico are our are, are largest trading partners by far. 
We export more to Canada and Mexico than the next top 10 trading partners combined. Uh, and so, you know, as you can imagine, manufacturers are very um, anxious about what happens here. They're gonna, we're going to be watching the developments closely, making sure that uh, as much as we can, we can make the, uh, a renegotiation a win-win, that we don't close off markets for us. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but I did hear that the NAFTA agreement actually goes through an annual up, upgrade where they do uh, fix this and that and the other thing, but it's not a major event. Is, is that correct? Uh, I don't know. We'll have we'll have to ask uh, Linda Dempsey in our office, but I don't know the answer to that. Okay. I think I, I, I think you know. Well, uh, I think uh, one of the things that would have definitely modernized at least that part of it is remember that the Trans-Pacific Partnership included sure. the United States, Canada, and Mexico, and it had a lot of provisions in there on intellectual property and other types of modernization uh, that, had it been implemented, could have could have you know gone a long way. And in many ways, uh, some of that language will be part of the starting point for. Any NAFTA renegotiation? Okay, I mean we do need NAFTA, and uh, it's, uh, I'm sure there are many things within uh, the, the document needs to be upgraded. Uh, what is it? 20 years since it's been in place now? Uh, since 1994, so I guess what is that? 23? Yeah, 23 years. <laughs> so it does does need a major overhaul. I don't think it needs all the the bluster that it's, it's had uh, uh, from the present administration, but uh, I, I know that we, we as All Metals and Forge Group receive the benefit of it. Uh, we do a lot of business in uh, Canada and Mexico, and I surely would not like to see a major change where NAFTA goes away. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. But we've been, we've been encouraged, uh, as you know, we've been encouraged that we aren't just walking away from NAFTA. Uh, you know, there was a lot of talk about that early on in this administration, but uh, cooler heads have prevailed, and, and now it looks like we're simply renegotiating. So that, that's a nice positive sign and an encouraging element that, uh, that, that President Trump is listening to the business community uh, as much as he can. I would like to touch on uh, a touchy topic, and we talked a little bit uh, pre-show, and that had to do with uh, Scott Garrett and XM Bank and uh, uh, Jay Timmons' uh, comments about uh, XM Bank and Scott uh, Garrett's appointment. Uh, where do you see that going? Well, as, as you know, uh, our president and CEO, Jay Timmons, wrote uh, an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal uh, Several weeks ago now, I don't remember the exact date, right. where he where he said that uh, you know the, the former congressman Garrick was uh, uh, a critic of the XM Bank um, and that uh, we we wanted someone that actually was an advocate for uh, the XM Bank and for export finance uh, and we didn't feel that he was the right person for the job uh, and uh, I think that that has resonated pretty strongly in the business community overall. Um, uh, and it's really going to come down to votes. Obviously, uh, if we can get a few Republicans to vote uh, against him, then, then hopefully the president will nominate someone else. So it's kind of interesting that he would have nominated uh, Garrett, uh, being that he's anti-XM Bank, to be one of the, uh, the board members on XM Bank. It uh, didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. But uh, hopefully, again, as you said, 
But we, you know, we I think we need the export import bank. We need export finance. The rest of the rest of the world clearly has export financing capabilities. Um, uh, and without having a fully functioning bank, which we don't have right now because we don't have a quorum, uh, we, we're really putting ourselves at a disadvantage competitively. And so we need a fully functioning bank, and we need, obviously, a leader who, who is passionate about, about having that. So uh, hopefully, as you said, cooler heads will prevail, and we'll, and we'll get some, some strong leadership at the Exxon Bank. I, I think that there's a, a point that I've really never heard mentioned on uh, mainstream media about uh, XM Bank, that everyone believes and politicians also believe that XM Bank is primarily for the, the General Electrics and the Boeings of the world. And that's not really true. Uh, about, I think it's 60% of the borrowers who use XM Bank are small business or smaller business. And yes, uh, Boeing needs it, GE needs it, and all the other, uh, you know, Fortune 500, 1,000 companies need it as well, just to compete against uh, foreign countries who are also uh, supporting their major industries. But the point is that, you know, so much of our business, 80% of our manufacturing business is small business, you would think that we would want to be supporting them through the use of an XM bank. Uh, you couldn't have said it better, Lou. Uh, I agree with you. I think that that uh, you know, small businesses often get lost in that conversation about XM Bank, and uh, they, without without having that uh, fully functioning bank, we have a lot of small businesses that can't take on new work. They can't hire new workers, right, at all, uh, and uh, they're really uh, really hamstrung when it comes to getting some new business. So. Uh, We've actually, every time we've had conversations about XM, certainly in the run-up to the reauthorization of the bank, uh, we tried putting out small and medium-sized voices as much as we could. Yeah, it's uh, it's really important because the masses in our audience, they're not really aware of it. And uh, I think it's an important factor, uh, you know, as the 80% of our economy uh, is small business, I think it's an important function of media to get the right words out there. So I, I appreciate your comments. So what else do we have going on in the world? Uh, well, yeah. so uh, I'll give you a, a little preview for uh, the Monday economic report. Um, okay. So, so uh, you know, I think one of the one of the big conversations that that we're going to continue to have is uh, we're seeing certainly stronger economic growth in the United States, right? So the labor markets are doing pretty well. We had added more than 200,000 jobs. Uh, in the month of July, uh, for the for the, I think the third or fourth month uh, in the last three or four months, uh, the unemployment rate is 4.3%. Uh, we had job openings that came out a couple days ago, uh, all-time high in the non-farm sector. So the labor market numbers are pretty strong. Um, so that would certainly make people say, well, we need to start raising rates, right? Um, but at the same time, you've also seen uh, overall inflationary numbers cool pretty significantly. So we had uh, the producer price index and the consumer price index come out this week. The CPI was earlier today. Uh, and, uh, you know, we really have seen overall inflationary pressures kind of pull back a little bit. And so we've had, what, what that essentially means is when you're looking at whether the Fed will raise rates in September or December, uh, people are saying, well, what are you, why are you hurrying? Maybe we can wait till December now. And so I think I think that that's really where the conversation has shifted a little, a little bit. I think a couple months ago, everyone would have said that the Fed would have raised rates a third time 
uh, in September, but now it's looking more like it could be December instead. Um, regardless, the one thing that the Fed will definitely do in the month of September is uh, start to reduce the size of its balance sheet. Uh, and so uh, the real open question there is when, the, when they'll start raising rates again. Um, but that's, that's kind of the overall conversation that, that um, you're seeing in the mainstream press and amongst economists now is, uh, is September a live meeting for a rate increase or not? Uh, and so that's, that's uh, I guess, the bigger conversation and a little bit of a preview for the Monday report. Interesting point. Uh, I've been uh, in manufacturing for 55-plus years. I've been following ISM for 40 years. I'm following NAM for multiple decades also. And uh, the summer months, obviously, are always a little bit uh, lower business-wise because of uh, the slowing economy, people on vacation, and so on. But this summer doesn't seem to be that way. And uh, September and October in my business uh, has always been the marketing kickoff season because September and October, from all the pent-up purchasing that wasn't done in the summer months, is now done in September and October. Uh, in November, you have Thanksgiving. and December, of course, you have uh, Christmas and holiday cheer. But September and October, in, in, from where I sit, is a are extremely important months. Uh, is, is that something that reflects in your experiences as well? Yeah, I, I agree. Certainly, we we often have a little bit of a lull in July and August, uh, and then things start picking up again in September and October. Uh, and I think that's really what the Fed is going to look for to the extent that they push back the rate increase from September to December, uh, looking for some 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 signs of strength in, in the data that come out in in the in the fall and early early winter months. Or, or weakness, if in fact it or weakness, weaken, yeah, yeah. You know, that, where they don't raise the interest rate. So, uh, well, well, there could I, be I, some higher in, interest rate effects from them uh, scaling back the balance sheet as well. So, I right. mean, both of, both of them right. could have a bit of a of a, of a pullback in, in the economics. So they might, you know, and, and I was quoted in the Wall Street Journal, I think, yesterday, saying that you know once they make these moves, they might want to sit back and see what the what the overall impacts are. Um, sure. So I don't sure. see them raising rates, regardless of whether it's September or December. I don't see them raising rates uh, again until at least next March. Is that right? Can we quote you on that? Uh, yes, you can. <laughs> okay. So, okay. I, yeah. Chad, uh, thank you very much uh, for being on our show as uh, one of our uh, regulars, and uh, we appreciate your uh, insight and uh, commentary. Uh, and uh, we'll be talking to you uh, next month again. Okay. Thanks, Lou. Thank you very much, Chad. Okay. Thanks. Bye now. Bye. Well, folks, uh, that's the end of this segment, and uh, we'll be back with you in just a few moments. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. Elevate your career and stay ahead of the curve with EISM. Brought to you by the Institute for Supply Management. EISM is the first on-the-go lifestyle-compatible learning initiative in the industry. It features hyper-short 15-minute modules and guided learning courses that can be completed in as few as three weeks, just right for you or your team. It's the world's largest one-stop online learning shop for supply management. Register today at ismelearning.org. 
Hey guys, are you bothered by rising transportation costs? Do you worry that your vendors and suppliers are also in the transport brokerage business? Do you sometimes wonder if you've got the right amount of product and supply available to serve your customers and get the job done? Well, if any of this is on your mind, I've got the free resource for you. It's called Inbound Logistics, and it reveals the ways companies just like yours took control of inbound product flow, rationalized transport costs, reduced inventory requirements and touches, all without dinging customer service. Go to InboundLogistics.com, look for the free subscription link, and sign up today. This message was sponsored by Manufacturing Talk Radio and All Metals and Forge Group. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it. And it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Okay, Lou Weiss, I'm back, and uh, we have our next guest, uh, Norbert Bohr from Strategius, Strategius. and uh, Norbert is uh, a chief economist, and uh, Norbert, thank you very much for joining us today. And Always like good to, to be here. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I'd like to hear your, your comments on what's going on uh, in July. Uh, and perhaps uh, what may be going on in August. We're going to put you to the test. Okay. So let's start. Let's start off with uh, the, the eurozone. What's, what's going on there? Well, the eurozone had another good month. It was down slightly from uh, what the, the month before when they set a 74-month high. And remember, we're always talking about if it's above 50, it means that there's growth in the uh, index. If it's below 50, it's contraction. And if it's right at 50, it means it's unchanged from the month before. So when we look at the Eurozone, it came in at 56.6, and that's down eight-tenths of a point from the month before, but still a very strong reading as far as manufacturing is concerned. Uh, in fact, Austria was above 60 in their index. Netherlands was at 58.9, and Germany at 58.1. So those were all uh, above average, uh, and certainly encouraging. Uh, even Greece, uh, which uh, isn't often in a uh, growth mode, uh, Greece uh, came in above 50 during the month. So all eight eurozone countries. 
showed uh, showed growth during that period. Now, what concerns me a little bit uh, is um, that's manufacturing, and manufacturing seems to be holding up well in the eurozone. Uh, the UK manufacturing came in at 55.1, so that looks good. Also, uh, the, the monthly average is, uh, since Brexit has been 55, so 55.1, slightly better than than the average. But but what concerns me is the services sector in the UK and the US and Germany uh, all uh, weakened somewhat uh, during uh, during July. Uh, what do you what do you think that is? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think it's something we're going to have to wait and see. You know, is it uh, a one-month uh, lull? In, in some ways, I would expect Europe in particular to pick up a little bit right before they take such a long August holiday. Sure. That I would think that things would be a little strong, and then the August would come in. Uh, you know, the seasonality should cover some of that, but uh, sure. uh, still uh, – it's a good question to ask. Uh, in the U.S., uh, the services index came in at 53.9, and uh, that's uh, significantly under uh, the uh, uh, U.S., w- which has uh, averaged 54 or 56.4 uh, for some time. Uh, and so I, I don't really see uh, what's doing that except that uh, uh, the, the services are, are obviously supply demand. There's, there's a greater supply than, uh, than the demand in terms of growth. So we just have to have to see. Germany was down there also. So uh, you had three major economies and services that were all uh, under. Typically in the U.S., I expect to see the services sector about two points above the manufacturing sector. So uh, manufacturing is holding up and services struggling somewhat. So let me let me ask you, does it make sense that there is uh, beginning to be effect on what's going on with uh, North Korea and its effect on our various economies? Is there a whole lot of concern? that would cause perhaps the service area to come down a bit, people not yeah. going on vacations and so on? Uh, I think that's uh, somewhat uh, unlikely from the standpoint that North Korea just really didn't get heated up until the last. I, I, I do think this may have more to do with uh, uh, the failure of uh, the Republicans to to pass a health care uh, replacement, uh, right. and that may have more uh, emotionally and physically uh, to do with it. Uh, and the fact that now they've deferred any tax changes and that it would be very late in the year and uh, then they're not. Uh, there's little talk about making it retroactive as there once was. So I think those may have had something to do with it, Lou, uh, more so than uh, than anything for North Korea. Now, if North Korea extends itself here for a couple of weeks, uh, I, I think we run the risk of uh, seeing the sector slow down even more. 
uh, and uh, you know our, our growth in GDP uh, was second quarter GDP growth supposedly 2.4 percent. That's a pretty good number, but keep in mind that that number has revised twice yet. And, right. Uh, it tends to be revised downward as opposed to to upward. Uh, so that could that could be part of the challenge, but uh, uh, the the services sector it doesn't change as quickly as manufacturing does. That's why we pay so much attention to manufacturing because change is shows up typically very quickly in the manufacturing sector, whereas services uh, they don't. It's more coincident and doesn't respond as quickly. Uh, so it uh, so it seems. Um, we're looking at uh, let's take a look around uh, the country, the U.S. and uh, you know Chicago, the ISM in Chicago, which is a, a huge economic uh, sector within our uh, within our country. Uh, you have it as weakening, but meanwhile it moves up to 58.9. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Yes, Chicago has held up better. Uh, uh, Milwaukee and uh, Western Washington uh, have uh, have fallen off as far as manufacturing is concerned. So the strength is more in the east uh, and Midwest as it's showing up in Milwaukee, or I mean in Chicago. Uh, Milwaukee, I think, is a better indicator with regard to durable goods. Mm-hmm. And so it's fallen off a little bit, and I, and I think that's, you know, the dollar's been uh, uh, weakening uh, somewhat. Uh, that was, I would expect it to help uh, durable goods, but uh, th- that doesn't seem to be the case with all of the issues around exports. And uh, I think the other thing is creeping into all of this, you, you know. Uh, uh, Manufacturing in particular uh, can't stand uh, uncertainty. And uh, now we've got uncertainty in health care. We've got uncertainty in taxes. We've got uncertainty with uh, Northern Korea or, or North Korea. And um, so I think manufacturing has struggles with that over time, uh, the, the uncertainty issue. Uh, you know, the definition of uncertainty is risk that can't be measured. And business is all about risk. Uh, and when, when, you can't, when you can't measure it, uh, it tends to be paralyzing. Yeah, people have a tendency to say, well, let me wait and see. Let's wait and see. And I've done it, I've done it a thousand times in 50 years. Let's wait and see. Yeah, well, and it's been so much of a mode uh, recently. We had eight years of uh, wait and see and uh, things, how's it going to work and what new regulations are going to come out. Now we've lost some of that, but uh, still uh, we've replaced it with health care uncertainty. And and that's a biggie because uh, uh, companies and uh, people or individuals are experiencing very heavy increases uh, uh, in, in their health care or having to decline health care is just un- totally unaffordable. Do you see any time soon, and I don't mean this year, that we're going to wind up with a new health care program? Uh, we have to wind up with a new program, whether that's a modification of Obamacare or a uh, 
complete repeal. Uh, I, I think that, that uh, we, we have to, first of all, recognize giving health care as a gift or as a right is very, very difficult because uh, we have immigration issues and people coming into the country. We, we can't run socialized medicine and have a, an open border for sure because everybody will come here uh, and expect uh, full treatment and sue us if, we, if they don't get it. Uh, so I, I think that's, that's the toughest part of it. Uh, having health care that is more market-based, uh, there's some examples out there of co-ops and different things that people have formed. Uh, that uh, helps keep the cost of health care down significantly. Uh, and uh, Congress, uh, uh, I, I think uh, they were, frankly, very lazy when it came to coming in with a, 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 a separate plan from Obamacare, but yet one that focused on the free market and on affordability. Well, you would have thought that uh, they've been bellyaching about the Obamacare now for seven years. You would have thought that they would have come up with a super plan uh, to present to uh, the marketplace and something that would have been more sensible to be able to pass. So uh, it's, a, it's a problem within our own Congress. Uh, again, I, I think they took the easy way out, which was do nothing. I can also understand why they might have done that a little bit. You had 17 candidates for president, so right there represented probably 17 different solutions that you might have to work through. And uh, the, the issue is trying to put health care, I mean, this is turning over uh, the, go the government uh, spending is about 18% of GDP. This is taking health care and turning it over to the government, uh, which hasn't had a good history of uh, running major programs. Uh, and so uh, it it's a big deal. And uh, I, I think they were overly uh, uh, optimistic to start with thinking that they could jump in and just uh, plug all the holes and turn this around and uh, get it done in a very short period of time. Uh, I would have expected more from uh, from the leadership in Congress to, to have pushed back and said, we're going to repeal it so everybody knows that that's in place, and then we're going to spend two years designing the new system. Uh, because that's really what it's going to take, probably, if they're going to if they're going to uh, exit Obamacare completely, it's going to take a good two years to come up with uh, all of the bells and whistles that you have to have in order to sure. make this work. Sure. However, you can't leave the country without health insurance for those two years. So uh, they've got a real double sword, uh, double-edged sword here. Uh, well, they can uh, they can repeal Obamacare, but set, set a repeal date in the future, sure. so that sure. the, everybody keeps what they've got right now. So I, I think that they, they can work through. Probably, uh, probably, probably. Uh, and we look forward to uh, you know the the, uh, the 
Brexit plan. Uh, they claim that that's going to take five years. Um, and who knows if that's going to actually wind up being completed. Uh, and the health care, of course, uh, we've already discussed that. Uh, I don't think they have much choice about Brexit uh, at this point. They, they've, uh, unless they want to go back to uh, Parliament with it and try to uh, try to overturn it. Uh, and I also think there's enough things that are starting to surface where the UK is saying uh, we, we we don't need bureaucrats in Brussels telling us how to run the country. And, I honestly believe that uh, this will be one of the uh, great moments for the UK in uh, uh, their economic development, that uh, it moves them uh, more toward uh, uh, a capital, a strong market-based economy as opposed to a more socialistic uh, economy, which they had moved toward with their health care and so on. Uh, I, I agree, and uh, the only problem, of course, is I think that they've already been talking about uh, doing another referendum to try and flip it uh, back to where it was, and uh, I think they've got the people on their side, but uh, there's uh, you know, the hardcore uh, group in the middle uh, doesn't want to do another uh, uh, referendum. Uh, that, that remains to be seen. Yeah, that's where the the political battles get very vicious, uh, and uh, and and you don't know what the outcome's going to be when when it gets to that point. Well, that's for sure. That's for sure. So, uh, Robert, before we uh, close up this segment, is there any other particular topics that you want to address? Uh, that we haven't touched on? Well, uh, take a quick look at, uh, at North America. Uh, we've got the, the U.S., of course, uh, with a strong reading again this month, uh, 56.3. It's down a little bit, but that's still a very strong reading. Sure. Um, the uh, Canada continues to, to prosper at 55.5. Uh, and that's uh, above the most recent seven-month average for them. Uh, Mexico uh, is uh, somewhat of a a loser in all of this because uh, they've lost their momentum. Mexico was doing quite well and still showing uh, 48 months of growth, but uh, it's fallen down to 51.2, and that's down 1.1 points from, from last month. And, and right. so they're they're really losing some of their momentum. Uh, how much of that is again uh, uh, where uh, uh, they've lost several plants that were going to be built in Mexico, and now they're going to be moved into the U.S. Uh, how much of that is the part of that mindset? Uh, I don't know, but uh, they've only averaged 51.2 for the past 12 months, so. Uh, not a not a very strong story as far as that's concerned. Real, uh, real the, the other things, the other things I, I look at uh, very closely. One of them is prices, and uh, we've seen some price increases uh, that seem to be sticking. Aluminum's up for nine months. Um, 
the uh, uh, electrical components uh, only two months. Uh, it, it's not a bad story. In fact, uh, you know, we're at uh, the point in, in the uh, business cycle where uh, we'd like to see some price increases on basic commodities, aluminum, copper, uh, are starting to get a little bit of pricing power. Those industries have been uh, down uh, ever since uh, 2007. And so it's just a, a recovery for them to where they might even start investing, where their numbers are good uh, in terms of uh, uh, the, the stock market and so on for them. Uh, the other two areas... Well, I think we lost Norbert Orr for a moment. Uh, but I wouldn't bother saying anything more. We'll just edit it together if he calls back in. Because he, he definitely dropped. That he left, he'll never know that it's okay. okay. Uh, you want to pick it up there? Yeah, okay. Uh, a, a couple of areas that uh, I'm uh, pay, paying particular attention to uh, one of them is employment and manufacturing employment continues to rise, uh, services related employment uh, continues to rise. So, from the employment standpoint, uh, even in Europe, they're creating jobs. So. Uh, that's very positive. The, uh, the other is inventories, and uh, we see that uh, this month the inventories, uh, customer inventories, uh, is at 49, which indicates that there's some room in the supply chains for replenishment. Uh, the new orders minus uh, inventories index is at 10.4, so new orders have been outstripping uh, inventories. Uh, so uh, everything says we should be looking forward to uh, uh, the third quarter being fairly strong, again, as far as manufacturing is concerned, and uh, that should extend over into the fourth quarter even. Uh, and we're in that wait-and-see mode as far as the non-manufacturing sector it, it needs uh uh, we're not going to see very strong job creation during the second half of the year. Uh, when you're at 4.3% unemployment, that may not be uh, that bad, uh, that, uh, that we're not creating jobs any faster than that. Well, it's interesting that the, the manufacturing jobs, uh, the manufacturers are talking about that they don't have uh, enough people signing up for uh, applying for jobs. Uh, we're having, there was actually a, an issue that came up last week where um, it came out pretty strong about the fact that the uh, opioids and the uh, drug uh, situation is really causing a problem in the manufacturing sector, uh, which only increases the number of jobs available because they can't get people either who have skills or who are stoned. So this, this is a real serious problem. And uh, actually, we're going to be doing a, a show or two on this uh, shortly. Um, yeah. Well, you know, a lot of the big manufacturing companies, and I won't name any names, but the, the, the Fortune 250 anyway, uh, 
some number of years ago, uh, they uh, they started refusing to hire uh, or have uh, allow their contractors to hire uh, people that uh, couldn't pass a drug test. Right. Uh, then they came back and added anybody who has a felony. Right. And uh, that reduces the pool significantly. Absolutely. Uh, I was with a co- company this week that's uh, strong in uh, a number of the southeastern states, and they are highly dependent upon subcontractors, and they just mm-hmm. can't get subcontractors uh, a sufficient number uh, and, uh, and to, to form a competitive market. So uh, they're uh, struggling to get costs where they need to have them in terms of being able to pass those costs through to their customers. So there's a number of barriers there. And uh, uh, on top of all that, I don't think anybody today raises their child to work third shift. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, and, and frankly, uh, we did a, a show with uh, uh, New Jersey MET and NJIT uh, several months ago. It was a Saturday event where every library in the state of New Jersey, which there are 300, had manu- a manufacturer's day. Uh, I'm sorry, not a manufacturer's day. It was maker's day. And they had uh, kids from the age of 8 to about 18 who would demonstrate and set up a booth of things that they have created. And there were, there was a total uh, for that half a day of 80,000 people in this state mostly parents uh, and manufacturing talk radio, uh, who partook in that event, 80,000 wow. And it never made mainstream media. And this is all about the fact that parents need to have a better sense for their kids about what a career path could be uh, without college or without uh, or, or going into a manufacturing where you're using your your hands and using your talents and creativity and so on. So uh, this is a very serious problem. And uh, I, I know I wouldn't want to have a, a kid going to college now, spend $200,000, have them move back into the house and not get a job. So that's, yeah. uh, that's where that's at. Uh, Congress should, should act on that. They ought to pass a law that says no child has a right to move back home after they've got that much money for an education. That's right. That's right. But, you know, what's, what's really interesting is that um, the states are really very proactive about creating apprenticeship programs and working with um, community colleges and so on to uh, get these kids to be more involved with the idea of manufacturing. And it's working, and the states are succeeding, but the federal government is just kicking the can down the road, and that's very unfortunate. Well, and it may be one of those things it's better if they're not involved in and let us <laughs> leave it to the states. Um, I agree. Because the states will do a better better job. They know what's needed locally. And, I mean, th- th- this is back to the health care argument. Would it That's be correct. better to have the states run health care 
of the federal government? Now, that's an easy answer for me. Easy, easy answer. That that the states would do a better job of running this based on what the needs of, of their uh, population and demographics are. Sure, absolutely. I agree with you. I mean, take take states, the coal mining states. I mean, it's time that they start stop whining and go for training and learn new skills. And the state should be giving uh, benefits to manufacturing sectors to come to their state because they have they have ample uh, talent that needs more training and it'll be a lot better than uh, what they've got now where they're you know really whining about not a lot of people coming to work uh, in manufacturing. Right. So, well, uh, I, I, I find that there's a couple of different kinds of unemployment. One of them is if they're geographically unemployed, right. if there's right. just nothing in that area. The other is if they're occupationally unemployed. That one you can do something about. The geographical means somebody's got to pick up and move. And uh, there's certain areas where, you know, there's more jobs. Even in the coal mines, uh, it's become highly automated with the continuous miners that go into the seams and so on. Uh, I I bought coal for 30 years, and I've been underground a mile and a half uh, and seen what what goes on down there. And I've also been in a a wash plant where they wash out the sulfur uh, out of the the coal. and uh, in both instances, I was impressed with, uh, with with the way they do things, how they do it, uh, and it's uh, uh, the picture is all wrong uh, of, of that side of coal mining. Now, on the uh, emissions side, uh, that's another issue. Uh, it can be dealt with. Uh, how much of it? Uh, we should allow or not allow or that type of thing uh, uh, is way beyond uh, my knowledge of science. But I know what I saw in terms of safety, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, we we, uh, we we still have attorneys on uh, television uh, 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 advertising with regard yeah. to mesothelioma. That, right. Uh, we haven't had any asbestos made in the last 40 years. But they're still working on the lawsuits. But they're still working because there, there's a, a fund set up that they can file against if they can just find people sure. that have any uh, any uh, 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 of the symptoms with regard to mesothelioma. Well, uh, Norbert, I give you a lot of credit for going down that hole into the coal mine. I couldn't do it if my life depended on it. I'm a, uh, I'm a uh, uh, claustrophobic, and uh, that would not be something that I'd want to do. That's why I'm in the metals industry instead of the coal industry. <laughs> I, I, I guess that leaves you out of the submarine corps too, Lou. Well, that, that's interesting. I went down to Aruba once, and I they had one of these tourist uh, submarines, and they take you out on a boat, and you go past the reef, and you get into a submarine. 
and it was really neat. I mean, there were very big windows, so I didn't really particularly feel closed in. But when we were already down down below, and there were maybe 30, 40 people on the on the uh, boat, uh, submarine, they said, I hope none of you have to go to the bathroom because we don't have a bathroom on the sub. So, <laughs> so we weren't down there too long, and you can't exactly open up the window and do whatever you got to do. Norbert, right. it's, been, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll, we'll be talking to you uh, next time. Thank very you good. very much. Take care. Thank Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, folks, that's it for today. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, come and listen to our other 220 shows at mfgtalkradio.com. Uh, we post new shows on Tuesday, but you can go listen to the 220 to your heart's content anytime you want. Thank you, and have a good day. Well, Tim, another great show. Chad Moutre, uh putting out all his good numbers, and uh, Norbert Orr also putting out numbers from 18 foreign countries. Uh, it's really quite incredible how things uh, are on this upward trend uh, and uh, based on the news item uh, that we did uh, yesterday about uh, the fact that uh, the economy is uh, really uh, booming, 209,000 uh, July uh, new, new jobs. Unemployment is uh, down at uh, 4.2, 4 4.3. Um, uh, interestingly enough, uh, there's one state, I'm trying to remember who it is. I think it might be Utah. I think it's Utah that has an unemployment of 2.3. Uh, that's probably because they have all the rams, mountain rams, doing a lot of work for the manufacturing companies and hauling stuff. So uh, I think that's uh, that's it for me. Uh, Tim? Thanks, Lou. As always, we would like to invite all of our listeners to pass on the word about Manufacturing Talk Radio. Tell your coworkers about listening to the show and the information that we provide, or visit us at mfgtalkradio.com. For more information, we appreciate you being with us today for part two of the Global Report. And next week we'll be talking with Jeff Christensen. Jeff is with Seagrid, and they make uh, moving trucks in very large warehouse spaces where they don't need forklift drivers or guide-by-wire in the floor the programming is on the truck itself. They currently operate on a single-level ground-based truck, but they're working on multi-level transports as well. So tune in to hear about what's happening in warehouse space and how warehouses could go lights out. All of that on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks again for listening today. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>